Human Relations Log, star date 43745.2. Have just finished my meeting with Commander Riker. This is his, let me check here, fifth meeting with HR this star quarter. This time we had to discuss why it is not appropriate for him to trick a coworker into buying and displaying a sex toy, no matter how good his intentions may have been. We also discussed that it was not appropriate to bring up how, quote, imaginative the girls of particular location may or may not be, no matter how, and I quote here, truly mind-bending it is. <laughs> in other news, we have word that Luxana Troy will be visiting in a few months, and if her last visit was any indication, we will need additional staff on hand to deal with all the extra paperwork. Welcome to Reengage, <laughs> the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as a kid to see how it holds up. So grab your Horgon, display it proudly, and let's re-engage. Welcome once again, my friends, to re-engage the Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. We are looking at Captain's Holiday this week. Uh, but first, let's say hi to our cultural bridge officers. Jimmy G, how are you? I'm doing great now. I give that opening 10 Horgons. Oh, thank you. <laughs> appreciate that. That's awesome. Eric Curry, how are you today? I am doing wonderfully in the great state of Florida where everything and everyone is gay. Um, <laughs> it is lovely to be here with all of you. And I agree, Kate, 10 out of 10. That was just delightful. Well, thank you. I feed off of your love. I appreciate it. Craig Tito, how are you? Very excited to be here. And I think Florida should change their motto to the just the gay state. I think that's just perfect for now on. And uh, Horgons for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe that's the the also the state motto. Horgons for everyone. I mean, it rhymes with more guns. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we sneak it in. Yeah. We are looking at star date 43745.2, otherwise known as April 2nd, 1990. Greg, what was happening in the world at this time? April 2nd was the championship game for NCAA men's basketball. UNLV beat Duke in the championship game. It was the largest margin of victory in a championship game, 103 to 73. Those dang Blue Devils from Duke got their comeuppance. Jimmy, so we were happy about that. And in slightly not really sports-related news, WrestleMania Six was on April 1st. This is where the Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan for the WWF Heavyweight and Intercontinental titles. Does, is anybody here wrestling fans? I was at a, as a kid. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Dude. off and on through my life. I, I get in little spates of like being super into it, and then, and then I stop. Yeah. I went to my very first live WWE event in 2019 and I'm very excited to go to more once everything gets a little more figured out with regard to COVID but my god it was one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life just (laughs) unbelievable audience engagement too like it was incredible well yeah this was kind of at the height of of Wrestlemania uh in in many ways right like this was the the, there was cartoons on on television Saturday morning cartoons Hulk Hogan was a was a household name yeah so this was this was a big deal and it continued to get more popular even as uh the decades went on um April 5th Paul Newman good old Paul Newman he won a court victory over a delicatessen owner in Connecticut named Julius Gold, who was suing, saying that he had a, a deal with Newman to uh, create the Newman's own products. He was uh, promised 8% of those profits, he had said. Many of those profits, you know, famously go to charity. So it was odd that he was like, no, wait, I'm I'm going to try and get some of that money, not from charity, although he did say he would donate anything that he won. Uh, but he lost. Uh, the jury just said, nope, Newman had it the whole time. Apparently, the only thing that, that Julius Gold actually did, <laughs> uh, according to testimony by Paul Newman, was just introduce the, the actors to some people in the food business. Uh, and he thought that was that was worth 8%. Uh, but then, well, now... So does my agent, am I right? <laughs> hey! <Yeah. laughs> I want to be clear that I love my agent. <laughs> <laughs> if any of them are listening. Craig, you rock. Jack, Ashley. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, in the pop culture world, Black Velvet was still at the top of the charts. And the modern rock charts, which only uh, do the charts like once a month, we have a new song, and that is Nothing Compares to oh. You So fucking good as we remember that song was written by the amazing prince and we miss him and Sinead o'connor too that's been in the rotation a lot the last uh, couple of years it is a fantastic song and every time it comes on i just belt it out you can't yeah. you can't not you can't not yeah. yeah i i got to cook for one of the iterations of little fair that she was on it was really just a delight to watch her interact with the fans and people on the tour she was universally beloved. Wow. And what a show. Like, that voice is incredible. On the movie front, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was number one. And yeah. get this, broke the Hunt for Red October's record from four weeks earlier for the highest weekend debut in March, for the highest weekend debut for a spring release, and the biggest opening for an independent film. Because when you think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you think indie film, for sure. <laughs> that was a property that most people don't know. It, it came from an indie comic, and then it had an RPG, right. like a whole life in the 80s before that movie really did break it out. And I definitely was part of that opening weekend. I went to go see that movie, and I remember coming home with my friend Mark Swenson, and we basically just did karate moves with each other. <laughs> you you want to do karate in the garage? Yeah. <laughs> in the land of TV, a seminal moment uh, for me and my progression towards being the adult that I am now, Twin Peaks premiered this Ooh. week, which I remember watching the lights off with my feet up on the couch because you couldn't put your feet down because that was too scary. And that's how I watched Twin Peaks every single week. Just loved it. In the art world, Robert Maplethorpe's The Perfect Moment show of nude and homoerotic photographs opened at the Cincinnati Contemporary Arts Center in spite of accusations of indecency by Citizens for Community Values. I remember Robert Maplethorpe. Why do I remember him so well? I was so young and yet I remember there was something like a cross in a in a jar full of pee was that maplethorpe i don't know it was stuff like that but i believe that was a later one of many times that robert maplethorpe has done his service to the uh, puritanized the nation love it and then briefly on broadway andrew lloyd weber's aspects of love opened at the broadhurst theater for seven, 377 performances i have a i have a love of that one i saw it when i was way too young and it's way inappropriate and doesn't hold up today but god i have just a secret love for that musical just like this episode that's timely Yes, yes. <laughs> this episode, by the way, was written by Ira Stephen Bear, who was a producer on TNG from 89 to 90, and an executive producer of Deep Space Nine. And he released the documentary What We Left Behind about DS9, uh, which was released in 2019. It was directed by Chip Chalmers, which is the best name ever. Chip Chalmers. Sounds like he should be doing sports on the 10s. Right. He's, he's a golf announcer, definitely. Yes. Oh, for sure. He's Chip Chalmers. Uh, but he directed four episodes of TNG and two of Deep Space Nine. Jimmy, what else was happening behind the scenes of this production? Uh, there's several things going on. The script itself was inspired directly by Stewart's desire for more sex and shooting for the captain. So there's a little peek inside Patrick Stewart's mind. <laughs> about what he wanted. It's our first actual visit to Risa. Heard it mentioned many times before. This is our first trip to see it. In addition to the first ship to Risa, it's also the first time we have an opening off ship on another planet. So we're, the opening of the episode is on Risa, and then we go back to the Enterprise. The earliest draft of this episode only had the Risa crew, the, the Ferengi and, and you know, the people that Eric are about to talk about. Uh, that crew, it was just about them looking for this artifact. It was Ron Moore who was like, let's uh, throw in this time travel element. We have Jennifer Hittrick. Is that how you say her name? Yes, it's Vash. Yeah, she was actually Corbin Burnson's wife on L.A. Law. So a little tie in there with, you know, Burnson was in Deja Q. And now she's 
on the episode and she actually comes back next season or the season after uh, reprising the same role. And then uh, Michael Grodincheck, he plays the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. He also plays another Ferengi later in the episode and he's the third actor to play multiple different Ferengi in the franchise. Mm-hmm. And then finally, that final scene where they all converge in the cave to look for the talks taught the background is a mat but it's actually a digital mat so it's painted by pixels rather than pigment and then digitally woven into the live action and this is a hallmark of one of eric's relatives by way of in-laws the special effects supervisor mr dan curry (laughs) definitely related and that is all from the nemesic files Thank you, Jimmy. Speaking of Mr. Curry, what was happening with our guest stars? I just love it every time y'all say that. It's so nice. (laughs) So we have basically five main guest stars in this. We have a bunch of kind of random people on Risa as well, which we didn't get too much because we don't have the time. All right, so we'll start with Karen Landry as Adjur. Awesome long career. A lot of guest stars on shows like Criminal Mind, Justified, Cold Case, Six Feet Under the Division, Chicago, Beverly Hills, 90210, The Practice, Jag, Picket Fences, Melrose Place, Star Trek, Hard Time on Planet Earth, Moonlighting, and movies like Heartbreak Hotel and one of my personal favorites, Sweet Land in 2005. You know this movie? If you can check it out, everybody, it's a weird and strange and beautiful film about, um, you know, not fitting in in the Midwest, but taking place right around the turn of the 19th into the 20th centuries just a really delightful movie and she's great in it but uh, tons and tons of other stuff earlier than that like the reboot of the twilight zone in the 80s family ties highway to heaven and starting out with stuff like a lou grant mash a lot of guest stars uh then we get to uh, boratas played by michael champion a terrific career including recent things like tales from the folk of, Str- of <laughs> scarlet creek He's also a lot of video games like Maximum Surge, TV movies like Ten, uh, Cold, uh, Ravenhawk, and then we know him from things like NYPD Blue, Renegade, Diagnosis Murder, Murder, Leather Jackets, Toy Soldiers, which I love, the live-action Flash from back in the 90s, Father Dowling Mysteries. He's in Total Recall. Uh, he's in Hunter, Matlock, Pink Cadillac with the great Clint Eastwood, not the bad Clint Eastwood, 21 Jump Street, Hooperman, Alf, Crime Story, Dallas, Fatal Beauty with the wonderful Whoopi Goldberg and still worth watching, Hill Street Blues, Beverly Hills Cop, Knight Rider, Simon and Simon, Holy Moses, which I know Jimmy remembers and I hope the rest of you guys do too, and The Incredible Hulk and BJ and the Bear. Great career. Now we get to the star Jennifer Hetrick as Vash, as Jimmy mentioned, uh, known well at the time, especially for L.A. Law. Uh, I had not remembered the character that she played. That's great to have that connection with Mr. Corbin Burnson. She's still been working hard, just going along for decades now. She was in Code Black a couple of years ago, as well as 24, raising the bar movies like 500 Days of Summer. She was in like Prison Break, Cold Case, NCIS, Close to Home, Criminal Minds, Alias, Sliders, Profiler, Party of Five, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 90210, Brooklyn, South. Dark Sky, Silk Stockings, The X-Files, Diagnosis Murder, etc. Incredible career starting off with stuff like this. But that was after, of course, L.A. Law, uh, Murphy's Law, and terrific TV series with Another World, um, General Hospital, Jake and the Fat Man. Right? Then we go to Max Grodenchik, as Jimmy mentioned, Sovak in this particular one. This is his second appearance as a Ferengi before finally auditioning uh, in the next series for Quark and booking the role of his brother Rom that we see over and over throughout the Deep Space Nine series. He's had a terrific career even before that. Uh, he had been in shows like Civil Wars, Room for Two. He was in Barton Fink, Night Court, 30-something, etc. Really terrific career. A lot of alien roles in other Star Trek properties as well as voiceover. Things like Armada 2 and Bridge Commander. Really a terrific terrific career which is what i've been saying all day about these folks that's basically it for this walkthrough and uh let's get into the episode if we're ready i'm ready we start as jimmy told us on world but off ship and uh the sound of the tropics and uh lots of half-dressed people and suddenly two lobster-like people beam in looking for picard 
They go and find out there is no such name, no such arrival, but they are sure he will come. What do we think of this part of the cold open, uh, particularly this alien race that we get to meet? I mean, I thought, you know, much like the last ones were kind of all clones of, who did you say, Jimmy? Jay Leno. Jay Leno. These ones were a little bit like the Coneheads from the original (laughs) Live. Like they, they had almost the same peak it wasn't as high as the movie one that's that's what i was struck with right away visually but it was neat to start out with characters that we don't know yet do you guys remember the lewis gossett jr version of enemy mind that's who they yeah they reminded yeah. me of yes and i i was more struck who directed the the cinematography because there's a lot of close-ups of women's crotches we're gonna get yeah their breasts and following their butts <laughs> it, it was uh a little yeah very much like this is not how we do things anymore everyone was so scantily clad that when these two aliens are dressed from head to toe in 50 sci-fi jumper suits <laughs> like that is like a red beacon of we don't belong here. Look at us standing where we shouldn't be. But it was still kind of cool because it was like those things aside, it was intriguing because it was setting it up for, oh, they know what's going to happen. We don't. And that's kind of fun for me to to not be ahead of the characters, but to be behind the scripts uh, trying to catch up. So it was it was a promising start. Uh, we get back on board the ship and we hear Riker's log informing us that Picard has been negotiating. Troy comes onto the bridge and they briefly hold hands in greeting. It's just a nice little moment where like they say hello and there's just like extended contact and it's like, no, they like each other. Um, he's They're on again. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. And there's a couple of other points in the episode where people touch and hold hands. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, this must be a director thing of like, let's, <laughs> let's see some content because it was, it was weird. It didn't feel natural. It was weird. I it. Yeah. It was enough that it was enough that my husband was like, "Are they holding hands?" Right. And like, we had that's... to rewind. <laughs> well, I mean, I I kind of thought as a kid I wouldn't have really noticed that. But as an adult, it kind of looks like they're just admitting that they're in an on-again, off-again relationship that we don't see behind the scenes. And at this point, they're on again. You know, it, it's it's the kindest possible way to read that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good, well said. Is it, it's weird for me, though, to see people in uniform behave that way. And that, it, yes. I, yeah. That's me putting them in a box, but it's like, if you're in a uniform, you have to leave some personal interaction behind, right? Like, yeah. it, it's not appropriate. <laughs> not because it's inappropriate, but it's like, you have a uniform on. There's no hand-holding in uniforms. <laughs> Stop crying in baseball. <laughs> junior rank and Great. dealings with uh, the problems that arise from inter-office romance. <laughs> yes, yes. Deanna tells us this has been a difficult week and she stresses how difficult it has been. And Picard comes in and he is grumpy pants. He didn't eat, he didn't sleep, and Troy says our captain needs a vacation credits. What do we think of this grumpy, very salty captain who comes back from these negotiations. Well, I like the the progression of the last few episodes here because, you know, not only was the the no exit room trying for everybody in it, but right, it was hard to be the captain and deal with uh, the repercussions of that. And so having this come directly on the heels, even though it's not mentioned, it does feel like, okay, we're getting some sense that, you know, a lot of things have been building up for Picard and this negotiation was tough. Uh, And you can see it on his face and his, his grumpy pants, McGee, a uh, way of acting just puts everybody off. And then we're like, well, all right, what do we do? And I like that Riker actually shows concern rather than being like, well, screw him. He's like, what What can we do? Yeah, they did. They went the screw him path last time and they figured it's in, in, improbable that another alien would already have replaced him, <laughs> uh, let alone another three aliens in one or whatever it was last time. <laughs> so he's like, this time we'll just try to get him laid. <laughs> well, that's, that's Riker's whole deal. He's like, wait, I got just the thing. I know he's going to love it. He's going to love it. Yeah, This is my favorite Riker episode. <laughs> <laughs> the things aside that Kate right. called out, 
But the mischievous fun, the genuine fun the actor seems to be having is infectious, I thought. I really enjoyed him, and I was smiling out loud a couple of times because of his... SOL. Uh, the fun he was having. Um, so, I guess... The, I hope that is isn't... Smiling out loud. I'm smiling out loud. That's my favorite thing I've ever heard. I didn't even hear that until the second time I said it again. <laughs> so much that you could hear the little saliva. Hear. I woke up the house. Stop smiling. I'm trying to go to bed. <laughs> I mean, and Riker is smiling the entire time, too. Like, I wrote shit-eating grin because that's all he's doing the entire time, especially at the conclusion. Well, and we get more of this set up directly after the credits. We are in Picard's ready room. He is ignoring the doorbell until finally he can ignore it no longer. Uh, Dr. Crush comes in and very subtly starts talking about an officer who has been ignoring his health. I don't know how he picks up on the fact that she might be talking about him. But she says, you know, you need to take a week's vacation. He hates vacation. He says he will use the holodeck or go to a conference. <laughs> we know what happens on the holodeck. This is terrible. But he kind of seemed to want to just sit in the conference and think about the stars. Right? That was kind of sweet. They're like, no! <laughs> Nerd. No. <laughs> no serious thought. Kick rocks. I love too that she's just like, no, you can't just have the fun that you want. You got to have it. And then also, he's she's like, you enjoyed that last trip you took, and he's like, actually, I didn't. I lied. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is such like a, oh, a dad thing. Is this the second inappropriate touch? Because I believe Beverly comes around and sits on the desk, and Picard he touches her at some point, like like a pat almost on the hand. Or on her leg, and it's like a, the second time I was like, "Oh my goodness, what's going on with the touching in this episode already?" <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. She's very familiar. Uh, after the last episode, she feels like she's got the right to to dance with him. Do you think she'd be standoffish, right? Like, yeah, it's interesting how at the time, like when I was twelve or thirteen or whenever this was, I would not have thought that looking back from now i'd see so little difference from the humor of this episode and benny hill because <laughs> they're not that far apart no and like at the time i would have actually even probably loved benny hill and it's so fascinating just to look at it with a, a modern lens yeah. which you know we do on this show it's, it's, it's almost like that's our mission yeah <laughs> he, he finally yells at her a little bit he says doctor enough and off he goes into the turbo lift, and there is Riker, shit-eating grin. Where are you going on your shore leave? I got this place you're going to love. It's called Risa, man. Uh, he is not convinced, but I don't know how he's not convinced. They make the best horchadas there. You gotta go. You gotta go. The puka shells are amazing. <laughs> but I love that finally what works is they deploy Troy with the my mother is coming for a visit. Um, ooh, the mother is coming for a visit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, more than yeah, they lay it on thick. But I like that he's not fooled by that, right? Like, he takes him into the ready room. It's not the sitcom sort of, what was it about that vacation again? <laughs> right, that's you what know? he I assumed was going to be the line, but he's like, no, I see right through you. Uh, right, like, I and see what you're, right. you're doing. That was original. I like he says, who all isn't on the scheme? And Riker says, there might be two ensigns who don't know, <laughs> which is kind of funny that it's a, a ship-wide... And it's like two ensigns on Deck 19. Yeah. I didn't look it up, yeah. but I know that both of them know about Deck 19. <laughs> like, it's got a meme. <laughs> the Lower Decks reference before there yes. was such a thing. So finally, he admits he's a little fatigued, and he agrees to go. He starts to pack and is including some, some light reading, which again nerd like they are just insistent that he cannot have the vacation that he would like to have nobody reads ulysses on a vacation i'm sorry that's just wrong <laughs> do we all want our bosses to just be happy on their vacations right no we want them to go on adventures like total recall right <laughs> kind of well, this is where Riker then, in front of Troy, says, speaking of on again, off again, says, if wonders if he's mentioned how imaginative the girls on Risa are, to which she says, too often, 
commander as she leaves. I, I feel like if they're on again at the beginning of this episode, they are off again. <laughs> calling it, calling <laughs> it off. No one flips a switch like Riker. <laughs> She's like, I'm, I'm not imaginative for you enough. Right, right. I can literally sense what you imagine, you motherfucker. Um, <laughs> and this is where Riker indicates that he would like a Horgon, which the name itself should raise red flags, but there we go. Worf wants to send a security officer with him. I don't know why we never listen to Worf. We just never listen to Worf. I'll be fine. It feels like they just needed to get another crew member in there somewhere. Like, we're like, ah, let's give Worf a scene. It it does feel a little bit shoehorned in there, doesn't it? If anyone else needs a vacation, it's Worf. And that's a a couple's vacation that I would watch. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see Worf in one of those uh, silky, silvery, super short bathing suits. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, man. Riker almost breaks his face off his grin is so wide when he says he's gonna have a great time and then his eyes smile and crack into a million pieces he smiles out loud yeah then he (laughs) smiles out loud then we go down to the planet and and here's where jimmy we really like we got a little bit of focus on some some butts but this is where this turns into an episode of silk stockings like a hundred percent like it is just girls in bikinis and small clear rain jackets and gold and just looking up and down the landscape it's like miami vice come to life meets Beverly Hills 90210 like it is they even have a car turn his head to look right I all that's missing is them going and twins (laughs) (laughs) shrimp white wine (laughs) but a woman runs up to him she sees a Ferengi behind him and she kisses Picard saying it's so good to see you again indeed uh, and that is our meat cute. What do we think of our meat cute? <laughs> over and over again, he has to reprove how naive he is because he's not. And so when a scene like this happens, it's frustrating because <laughs> Captain, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart has to just figure out a way to make us believe that he didn't think that the weird thing was that she kissed him, not the rest of it. Right, you know. but Eric, it's his fault. It's Patrick Stewart's fault because he asked for this. He <laughs> wanted this episode. So it's all his fault. It's on him. Yes. <laughs> it really is kind of like Patrick Stewart's character from Extras, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, but yeah, but he's way more deliberately like, ah, ladies. Like, this is him. No, I mean, that's how he pitched it when Patrick Stewart pitch this episode <laughs> <laughs> right he it's, wanted to play that character it's like he had been watching a lot of indiana jones uh and wanted his own sort of uh adventure that um, was the vibe you kind of got right away right was that this yeah. was him being attracted to this woman like be, be like beside himself like he would didn't, he didn't go there intending to hook up with anyone and then all of a sudden the character is like oh wait maybe i maybe this is exciting maybe this is something i want to do i think that's that's what I got out of this. Okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> then the lobster people arrive again, and we go back to very sensuous up and down body shots. This is the most egregious one, including right? Including <laughs> like a boob that just comes right into camera frame. Right. Yeah. Right. And and focus pull. What is with these opaque robes? Yeah, that's exactly. That, like, why? Why do you right. need a raincoat? <laughs> <laughs> mm. and and those speedos that picard is wearing those fluffy quilted speedos oh. that look like they currently have like air being like in the middle of them i don't know i just want to pop him uh is that weird <laughs> air that's what that's what they're filled with i mean first we have to define terms i know right so this woman comes to him and said, and, and she's trying to hit on him and he doesn't understand. He wants to go back to his book. And finally she says, uh, dude, you have a horgon. You want to smash. Like that is what that means. <laughs> and then, and then he just basically goes, Riker. <laughs> is that like the, at, a, at the Brazilian uh, barbecue place where you like flip the thing up saying you want meat? Is that what the horgon is? <laughs> 
It's like a pineapple. <laughs> it's like a pineapple. <laughs> oh, Riza. It's so imaginative, isn't it, Riker? Oh, man. So he hides the Horgon. I kept thinking, Horgon, take me away. Um, <laughs> Why do you think he looked around, though? Yeah, he was, like, nervous. He, like, made a big deal about nobody seeing him hiding the Horgon. Well, maybe because he didn't know what that would mean, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm taking the Horgon off. You're really going to need a raincoat for this one, buddy. <laughs> and then the Ferengi comes, uh, and I like, I like there's a just a little sci- sci-fi nod where he says, you're blocking the suns. What? Suns? Suns. And he says, I know you're working with her, says the Frangi. Tell her to surrender the discs immediately. Card uh, does not like the Ferengi. <laughs> I've dealt with you mm-hmm. before. You are not to be trusted. Yeah, he does not like the Ferengi. He just lays into him. And right? it is kind of fun to watch because it's like Picard reading the rights to somebody is something we don't see in a non-work context. And this is him just trying mm-hmm. to also be like, leave me the F alone. How many times have you been anywhere just trying to read a book at a bar anywhere where it at feels home. like, okay, yeah, no, my water is full. You don't need to keep on pouring more water in there. Just leave me alone. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was I was Picard in that moment. Oh, Greg, you just described the experience of every woman in public ever. And, oh, bless you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He reads the riot act. Finally, he lays down, eyes closed, and she comes to see him. Before he even realizes who she is, he says, I am not seeking Jerashamong, which is whatever, <laughs> whatever, uh, activity that includes um you know lots of raincoats <laughs> she says you should try it sometime and then says but also spoiler alert i wasn't offering which is very embarrassing for him <laughs> we learn her name is vosh and as she tries to leave they are interrupted once again by the ferengi and she slips a disc in his pocket which is not a metaphor nor is it uh, a commentary on Picard's age. Slips a disc. But before that, I just like that the 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 echo of handshake, right? Like he says that line early on, like, oh, a simple handshake would have sufficed. And then she's the one who's like, Vosh, you know, here's my hand. Nice to meet yeah. you. And I like that. I think that actually also kind of puts uh, Picard on edge uh, in in this in this relationship in a way that he enjoys. Oh, are you saying Picard is a bottom? Is that that's what I'm hearing? I'm hearing. That's what I heard. I'm hearing. I nod. I'm hearing switch hitter. Um, <laughs> Depends on if it's a hard cave floor, but we'll get to that. It's bad knees. Yeah, the Vorgon, who are these lobster creatures? They're from 300 years in the future. I want to know if he has heard of the Tox Utad, which is a great name, Tox Utad. Of course that he has, too. How many vacation time when you're like, oh, I've just had the most annoying thing. I'm going to go find some privacy. And then they're turning over your room when you get back. And you're like, come on. As far as I understand, it's a quantum phase inhibitor that is capable of stopping nuclear reaction in a star or something. Can turn off a star. Yeah. What's that lighter that Dumbledore has? That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, the de-illuminator or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those. This has been stolen, brought into the past, and they know that he is the one who has found the device. He agrees he will return it to them because it belongs to their time. Um, what do we think of that? The the whole, like, he, he very readily is like, from the future? Got it. I'm on board. <laughs> I've seen Back to the Future. I understand. <laughs> the last time he ended up having to murder himself, and he wants a taste of that again. <laughs> Yeah, he he doesn't necessarily like promise anything, but he does say like, "Well, it does belong in your time." And then scene kind of cuts there, and they're like, "All right, well, they assume that's a tacit approval of whatever they're doing. Right, right. it's enough just to move it forward." That's how I took it. Was he was placating them? Like, yeah, sure, you can have it. Now get out of my room. Uh, <laughs> if I actually come across it, we'll see if I give it to you or not. I love that he knows this item too. He's like, "Oh yeah, 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 I got it." <laughs> it's in yeah. Ulysses, isn't it? <laughs> One of the symposiums he's gone to. All the symposiums. <laughs> he goes to see Vash, and her room has also been trashed. Um, he has found the disc and wants to know if it has something to do with the Utad. She does not need a partner, she says. But then she continues to talk about it some more. Turns out she was a personal assistant to some professor, not working with the Ferengi. He just wants to sell it. She wants to get it to an institute for 
study. Look at how benevolent she is. You mean it belongs in a museum? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it belongs in the Daystrom Institution. Picard says he will go in her place. She says, are you ordering me to stay behind? Because I don't follow orders. He says, from the moment I met you, I knew you would be trouble. Oh. She's trouble. So the next time we see them, they are dressed like explorers. They got their Indiana Jones costumes on. Right. Yeah, it gets very romancing the stone at this point, too, mm. for me. Solvac, uh, the Ferengi, has a gun, even though they're not allowed to have them on Risa. I don't know where he got that from. He made it. The future. <laughs> oh. Right. Uh, and he reveals that he had asked Vosh to steal it for him. They fight with the gun and throw the gun into the begonias, <laughs> and off they go. Very irresponsible. Anybody could come across that. Hurt themselves. Right? A child. Very, very irresponsible. I do like he kind of, Picard does kind of wind up his fist <laughs> and then punch him in the face. <laughs> Why? Why? He, he ate, yeah. ate some spinach beforehand as well. <laughs> I think we gotta take a moment to talk about the backpack. It's a square, <laughs> like, yes. hard backpack. backpack seems super high tech. Like, I was waiting for, like, some kind of Harry Potter. There's an infinite chamber where, he, you know, it's going to have a giant <laughs> tent in it and a medical center and a nice lounge for smashing. And really, it just had wine cups and some shovels. I, I don't know why they had to trade it off. Like, she's wearing it, and then he knocks out the Ferengi, and then now they have the Switch backpack wearing. It's only fair. It didn't do as much as I thought it was going to do. The backpack. I was disappointed. We see that they have been searching all day and they've decided to stop for the night in a cave. Mm. She cozies up and confesses that she has not been completely honest with him, which surprises no, no one. <laughs> and you're lucky that I'm here because you are bored out of your mind and you need this kind of adventure. He's like, yeah. Yeah, I kind of do. And the whole time they're setting up these blankets because, of course, they're going to sleep under the blankets together for warmth. That's what you do. For warmth. Then he hogs the blankets in what is a delightful moment. This whole scene made me feel more like this was Total Recall. Like somehow mm. she was hired by the Ryza people to like, okay, if they don't want to smash, maybe we'll give them something else to, to <laughs> kind of you know tantalize oh. them along. Yeah, that's where my brain was going with it here. Because it just seems so... The game. It seems so manufactured, this situation. Yeah, yeah. right. I'd watch that. Yeah, right? I like that she very subtly brings up the Jahashamaran, like you do. He says, you are outrageous! Yes! <laughs> I love that! <laughs> Which I just love. <laughs> I love that! <laughs> then they bicker some more and they start to kiss. He just, she's talking. She's just talking and he's like, nah, I'm just gonna go on Stop, in. I will stop your mouth with a kiss. Yeah. I'm surprised the camera didn't like fade away and then we <laughs> saw, you know, trains going into tunnels and fireworks <laughs> and people eating hot dogs and I don't know. <laughs> if we are led to believe that more things happen, which I think we are, Man, that would have been very uncomfortable. Especially for his age. Cave floor. <laughs> it's so hard. Can't they come up with a better, you know, this is like 400 years in the future. Can't they have like an air mattress? Exactly. Like, That's what I'm saying, Greg. The backpack. Get some anti-gravity suits or something. The backpack disappointed. Y'all are weird. And let's, let's just, that backpack was from Risa, right? We have to assume the backpack was a Risa thing. Like, of course it has some toys. and It's got a Horgon in it for sure. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's, he starts pulling things out. He's like, I knew you were going to be trouble. So I, I brought some. If Faze of Black, it was here. <laughs> well the next day we see uh, the next day we see them traveling some more and they reach a different cave and uh she says this is it but her sensors aren't working so they start to dig to find it the vorgons show up he says a little premature she says that's what i said last night <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> she didn't mind. <laughs> because the cave floor, it was uncomfortable. And then she's mad, rightfully so, that he didn't say anything. Although she's been holding plenty back herself. Um, but she also gets over it pretty fast. She's like, you didn't tell me. What? 
Anyway, dig, dig, dig. They've got the best. The Vorgons have the best story, by the way. They're just like, oh, yeah, we just wanted to be here to watch. To this watch. amazing, momentous event of you two digging. By the way, nice job last night. <laughs> <laughs> we were also watching that momentous event. Also in the history books. Uh Oh, I've forgotten his name. Vol, Vol, Volsack. <laughs> the Frankie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Frankie arrives with a gun, and there's this uh, rack shot of goes from the gun to them in their in their short sleeves. It's like gun, and then whew, we pull focus, and there they are in their um, short sleeves or tank tops. Uh, Picard says the Utad isn't here. Solvac, that's his name, doesn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> what did I call it? Ball sack. Coaches? Ball, ball sack. <laughs> uh, so the lobster people, the Vorgons, are confused and they disappear. Solvac stays behind to dig on his own. They look at him with pity. <laughs> I love that he just gives up the gun. He's like, I'm just going to put this gun down and just start digging myself. Yeah. That seems very un Ferengi like. I don't think that they would do that, but, you know, he's desperate enough. I feel he would dig with the gun. Yeah, right? Just, I, why didn't he just shoot at the, at the ground? If any episode called for it, this one does. He should have had the laser whip. This is what a laser whip. <laughs> yeah. Oh, leaving everything on the floor. Picard takes her to the room, her room and says there will be other treasures. He gets sensuous, but she says, I need to be alone. Which is a red flag. Totally was a red flag. It reminded me of um, uh, uh, the con artist in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yes. Who was always playing the like, oh, well, maybe we will, but no, not right now. And like, I, I, yeah, you could see the con was on. It's a little like Picard last, uh, faux Picard last week with um, <laughs> Beverly when he was like, anyway, <laughs> bye. <laughs> but Pic- Gotcha. Picard's pretty smart because he goes to his room, uh, the Enterprise arrives, and he advises them uh, to be ready with transporter code 14. What's code 14? We don't know what it is, but it's exciting. I'm going to need all definite 13 others and all probable 75 or more past number 15. I just want to know what transporter code 69 is, right? That's what you and Liza. All it is is nice. That's all nice. it is. It's just where O'Brien shows up and he's like, nice. <laughs> nice. Then, then there's that classic where he, she's she's trying to sneak out of the hotel and he is waiting in the lobby. I want to put this all behind me, she says. And he says, tell me where you've hidden the Toxutad. He knows. He says, you lured the Ferengi to our location so you could prove it wasn't there. You got there earlier and and dug it up. And she very readily, she doesn't even try the like, what? What a what an outrageous story. <laughs> She's pretty fucking proud. She's like, what, this one? <clears throat> this Toxutad? He says, were you going to give this to the Institute? She's like, well, maybe not give. Let's, let's define terms here. <laughs> then the Vorgons arrive. Because she's displaying the Horchot. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> the Horgon, yes. The Hor- is that what it is hidden? It's hid in one of the Horgons? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, she says the Vorgons are the ones who tried to steal it in the first place and sort of raises the idea of like, how do we know these guys are the ones who should have this? And then he calls the code for the special transport with a two second delay. And it appears the crystal is destroyed. So here's my question. Do we get a, a payoff? Was the crystal actually destroyed? Mm-hmm. Or was the crystal, did it appear to be destroyed? And off it goes to the Federation. Here's the thing. I have figured out what transporter move 14 is. Yes. What it is, is that um, O'Brien, being a descendant of my people, the Irish, is pretty... Uh, pretty good with codes. So what happens is they give him a code 14. He goes right under the desk, right in front of him and pulls out an old fashioned M80 firecracker, puts it right on the transporter pad, cuts enough of a fuse off that there's only a two second delay. And so what happens with the two second delay go is he replaces it at the very last second with an old fashioned M80 firecracker, which explodes. Everybody has some big fire, everybody has some big boom. 
but sitting right there on the transporter pad is our good old friend the Horcrux or whatever. Right? Cannon. <laughs> Cannon. That's, yes. that's what code Thank fourteen you. means. I didn't think about that, Kate. I didn't realize that maybe it was a switcheroo because I just I just believed the explosion. But if anything is to be shown in this episode, you can't believe it. I definitely think they stole it. Off to section thirty one. What is it? The section thirty one or the the bad 32? guys of the Federation? Deck nineteen. Deck nineteen. <laughs> the on deck nineteen. That's where it went to. She once they're saying goodbye. She wants to know if he needs an archaeologist on the Enterprise. He says, "Ah, oh, ship life wouldn't be for you." Last one died on the holodeck. You don't want. Yeah, that. you don't. This is this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> He was trying to protect her. That's what it was. She she says, well, I'm going to travel to that one place where people hate people. And he's like, no, they hate trespassers. Outrageous. And she's like, no, you big softie, you care. You know, they they sort of go time science-y on us with like, since the Vorgons know where he can be found, they'll come back again and again and again. So we'll get to do this over and over and over again, which is very metaphysical. Yeah, the timey-wimey nonsense of that yes. doesn't really make sense. <laughs> Correct. It makes sense, but I, I was, like, thinking about them pining over that. I was like, man, I wish it was in that time loop right now. Rather than whatever <laughs> horrible fate I'm facing at the moment, I could be smashing again in that cave. And then Ned Ryerson would show up again. <laughs> I'm going to knock him out this time. <laughs> With the wind-up punch. But I definitely left, you know, like, it's oftentimes where we'll have a guest star where we think, oh, we're going to see this guest star again. That seemed like pretty, like, that was on the nose what that dialogue was supposed to imply. It was like, okay, we'll come back to this. And I was for it. Yeah, I was too. I was for it. Like, I, I like these two together. I like... The I, I think she's a good match for him, and and it's kind of that age old um, trope, right? Of like Batman and Catwoman, or you know, like where you've got the the straight and narrow path person and the like chaotic uh, neutral person uh, or chaotic good person that you just don't know what's going to happen. But I, I'm for it. The scoundrel, right? Yeah, she's the scoundrel. A little bit like the, the 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 scoundrel adventurer. She's a nerf herder. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Can, can, can I ask one question though? Like, because this scene, I loved their attraction back and forth throughout the entire thing. It felt like she was the chaser, like like you were saying, like you know, he's he's a little bit of the uh, passive uh, member of this. But this is where it changes, and it felt a little bit like he was trying to be the father figure to her, like being overprotective that way. And I I I felt like that wasn't their relationship, and it and it was a change. Did did anyone else kind of feel that? No. <laughs> no. All right. No. I, I, I just I just was like, what do you, why is she why is he being so protective of like don't go to that place? And I'm like, well, they heard that's her whole. Oh, she's been in in dangerous right. places. Like, don't don't make it about her being safe. Right. I don't know. I sort of took it as like, don't go there without me. Mm. Oh, all right. Well, then that's a much that's a kind interpretation. That is kind interpretation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Back on the ship, Picard tells Riker, we will chat upon the Horgon. Troy asks if it was a relaxing trip, and he says, uh-huh, with, like, mm-hmm. the cutest <laughs> little smile. And then Riker, uh, the entire universe implodes upon his smile. It is so big that time folds in on itself and goes into his dimples uh, <laughs> on his chin when he says, I knew he'd have fun. <laughs> And that is the end of our episode. Yes. Uh, it seemed like uh, it seemed like Troy was asking, like, did you smash? Right. <laughs> A little like, bit, right? Yeah. yeah, I did. You don't go to Riso unless you're going to smash. He almost didn't. He almost didn't, you guys, though. Yeah, you show up and they're like, you're going to, your intention to be here is to smash. Right. Sign right. this document. Drink this horchata. <laughs> you can choose with whom to smash or not. Right. But your intention is to find someone to smash. No judgment. What do we think overall of this episode? Greg, what do you give this episode? I am going to give this episode five and a half bulbous butt cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! There are very many in that in, in the scene. I think it is a decent episode. It's not uh, one of my favorites. I liked the change of pace where we were mostly off the ship. We were mostly in this kind of uh, romancing the stone Indiana Jones milieu that we were talking about. I did not 
feel like it was uh, just a mind blowing in any way. Like it felt, it felt a little derivative to me because of all those things that it was, that it was kind of calling back. So yeah, I, I'll give just give it a middle of the road type of thing. It was nice to see Patrick Stewart do something a little bit different, uh, mm. and so it was, it was successful in that mission accomplished. <laughs> Eric. Well, I was all prepared to give it four, you know, uh, whatever thing I came up with, but instead. I had so much fun talking with all of you guys about it that I'm going to give it nine red flags. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's hard to touch any particular part of this episode uh, without particular trepidation as a thing to enjoy. It is so weird in tone and has aged so poorly and should have been thought of pretty poorly at the time with some of the things that it does. But... The performers are so fun, and they, they took what is a really terrible idea and at least had some fun with it. Uh, so uh, the, the enjoyment that I got talking it through with y'all brings me to want to give it nine something, so we'll go with red flags. <laughs> I think it's appropriate that they're red flags. Uh, Jimmy, <laughs> what is your take on this episode well i agree with eric it was fun to talk with you guys about it lots of laughs but i agree more with greg's rating so i will give it five smiles out loud (laughs) 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 for all the reasons that eric mentioned it's very hard to touch this episode uh it does not hold up to our 2022 lens uh in terms in terms of what's socially responsible to pretend is just okay and that makes it bad i do like some of the technical babble that meant nothing like a crystal that can stop a star why would you do that but why not try if you think you can (laughs) (laughs) i mean you could destroy the universe but i mean we gotta try right (laughs) climb that hill and i'm gonna give this five and a half tox (laughs) utadis i think that you know it's all the things you've said it it doesn't necessarily hold up and yet there's something so charming about this relationship between vosh and picard that for what it sets up uh, for the potential of the future, I gave it that extra 0.5 because it was outrageous. So that is this episode. We hope that you will join us again. I have just been on Risa, so you know my pants are wet. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Smashed it. It was from the the Speedos. (laughs) Well, those speedos are absorbent. Oh. Like, those, that's made very clear. Now that is a good technology. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at re TNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 